Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Theatrical Mustang Podcast. I'm your host, Woodzik. This is episode 128 with actor Betty Hart. She is phenomenal. We talk all about Caroline or Change, which recently opened at the Aurora Fox Theater, running through May 5th. Link to get tickets in the episode description. And also wanted to plug uh, Barnum at the Fine Arts Center at Colorado College, May 24th through June 16th. But he's also directing a gospel musical called Crowns at Vintage Theater that runs June 28th through August 4th. Links to all of her many projects in the episode description. Friendly reminder, folks, Jules, Martha, and I have co-written a new musical about the Hamlet narrative, queering it from the perspective of Ophelia, and we're raising money to release the album that accompanies this musical next month, and so I'll have the link to Indiegogo to support Hoops of Steel, the musical. With that, folks, please enjoy episode 128 with Betty Hart. I am so delighted to have Betty Hart as a guest on the podcast. Welcome, Betty. Thank you, Woodsick. I'm super excited to be here. So you just opened a show, Carolina Change, at the Aurora Fox Theater. Tell me all about it. It's a collaboration. It's a... Tony Kushner, and then one Jeanine of the... Tesori. Who wrote, was on for Fun Home, too, was yes. part of the creative team for that. So tell me about the show and your role within it. Okay. Uh, Caroline or Change is actually an opera. What? Um, so it's musical theater, but it's really an opera. Amazing. And so it's not designed the way traditional musical theater is. You don't have lots of big flashing numbers. You don't have a tune that you're humming at the end. It is not that show. Instead, it's this beautiful journey through a little slice of time here in America. It takes place in 1963 before JFK was assassinated. And it features Caroline, who is a black domestic maid in a Jewish household. So we have the potential for racial tensions right, right. there. That's a setup and, if I ever Right? Do you like that? <laughs> and um, and it takes, it's on her journey. And the change that the play references is kind of twofold. Once the change happening in the country in terms of civil rights and what's happening in America. And also um, the mom, Rose, played beautifully by Maggie um, Tisdale. Uh, she offers Caroline the opportunity to keep any change that the son Noah leaves in his pockets. And this is a time when yeah. change was a lot of money because she only makes $30 a week, which is nothing. Right. And so this amount of change could change her life. And so the play is about what happens with the change that she finds and a pivotal moment between her and Noah when a $20 bill is left in the pants pockets. Oh my goodness. Yes. And who do I play? I play Dottie. Um, Caroline is played by the incredible Mary Louise Lee, who has one of the most beautiful voices that God ever created on this earth. <laughs> I play Dottie, her best friend, and I also play part of the Greek chorus of the radio. And so there are three of us who play the radio, and I am Radio 3. So I am acting and singing, and a lot of people don't know that I sing, so it's a musical. I'm singing. I'm so excited to hear you sing. Also, I've been seeing some of the photos online oh my god can we talk about those costumes yes megan is amazing what she has done with the costumes is just exquisite is it megan anderson doyle yes it yes is. i love her so much doesn't everyone yeah she's just she makes costuming a magical 
experience. Uh, for myself, being an actor of size, and Emma Messenger and I had a great conversation about this going into our fittings for Bite Size. Um, we just always assume that, like, they're kind of going to give up on us or, like, make us bring our own stuff in because that's happened to us so many times in the past. Uh, and so just shout out to Megan Anderson Doyle, who's like, this is the beautiful creature I'm going to fit, and I'm going to make them look as fabulous as humanly possible. Yes. And when you see Caroline, you will see that there are all sizes of women Yay! in that show. And they it. all look phenomenal. Oh, that's so amazing. So y'all run until the end of May. Till May 5th. Oh, May 5th. Yeah, Thank April you 5th for the to correction. We'll have that in the episode description. Where's the best place for folks to get tickets? Go to the Aurora Fox Arts Center website. AuroraFoxArtsCenter.org. Great. And who, who directed this show? Kenny Moten. And he is brilliant and gifted. He is this six-foot-something, tall, gorgeous, beautiful black man who can sing anything, dance anything, choreograph anything, and apparently direct anything. He is masterful. And then he worked alongside Trent Hines as our music director. And the two of them did all of this amazing work, had this cast of 15 people working in harmony, Really, very few tensions, just gorgeous, wonderful work, loving, supportive attitude and nature, and just helped shepherd this entire thing. Amazing. Can we talk a little bit about just the... I'm so impressed by the new executive producer Helen. at Aurora Fox. Yeah, Helen, right? Yes, Helen. Helen Murray. And the stuff that she's been bringing programming-wise. What have been some of the other highlights for you in their past season? Well, one would, of course, be the show that I directed. Yes, well. Hooded or Being Black <laughs> for Dummies, uh, which was such an amazing social justice play. It turns out, Woodsick, that it is now the third top-selling show in the history of the Aurora Fox. You heard it here first, folks. And I think that's a good segue to talk about when folks are program... Ah! We talk a lot about diverse, uh, equity, diversity, and inclusion in our industry, and I think uh, that gets shortened to EDNI. Right. And it's... I think we're at a turning point right now where folks who are in charge of programming know that they should be programming diversity on stage, but the word diversity gets really loaded sometimes. And that idea of what is the intention behind programming it and how are they meaningly reaching out to those communities so that we see the diversity of humanity on their stages. What, that was a little bit of a monologue, but like what have you <laughs> been seeing locally that gives, that you're like, those folks, I really like the way that they're going about it. Or that was a show that I think is really intersecting with this desire in our industry to uh, have more uh, diversity on stage? I'll, I'll answer it in two different ways. Great. Um, on the personal, in terms of somebody who I can say I can advocate and say really gets it 100%, is Helen Murray. Helen was intentional when she came in of choosing a season of shows that were eclectic and really spoke to the heart of Aurora, which is the most diverse city in all of Colorado, Right. which I really appreciate. She gets that diversity isn't just color or race. It's really, it's, it's larger than that. And so I appreciate her intentionality behind that. I appreciate the fact that she brought me in as a director. She brought Kenny Moten in as a director. She was intentional about seeing who else is here literally wanting to get other voices in the room where it happens, which I really appreciate. So I'm big on Helen Murray, um, not just because she gave me a chance to direct, but also because I'm in this show, Carolina, that she thought had the forethought to say, no one's done, Caroline. What's wrong? Let's do this. It's a gorgeous piece. So 
big fan of Helen Murray. I would say overall, Colorado is shifting in really magnificent ways in terms of EDI. We have not yet arrived to the place where right. every time people see a script, they go, oh, anyone could do these roles. Let's go. Yeah. That's the dream. We're not <laughs> there yet. I still yeah. get called in 80 to 90% of the time because the role is written for a black person. I I don't always get the opportunity that I did last year with the Catamounts and CSF to be able to play roles that had nothing to do with race, but right. everything to do with what I could do as an actor. But we're moving in that direction, and I'm really excited about that. I think Curious this season has been pretty strong and incredible this past Agreed. year, yeah. especially Skeleton Crew. Yes. My God. So there's a lot of really great things happening. I love it. I love it. What would be one piece of advice that you would give to folks on the other side of the table, since you work on both sides of the table, both acting and directing, to help open up their eyes to possibility in casting? I think the description in the audition notice is really crucial. And so there's a difference between black female, 30, or female, 30, or female identifying, 20 to 40 because what somebody thinks is 30 is even problematic because I go in and I have some people who are like, why are you here? You're 20. You're too young for this. And I'm like, I'm not 20. <laughs> you know. And then I have other people who are like, oh, and so how about we just expand our definitions, expand our ages so that performers can then look at it and say, oh, I should come in. The door is open. And I think that's part of what on the other side we need to do. We need to let actors know that the door is open and then they can come in and bring their artistry and then we can see if it's a good fit as opposed to getting Samuel French's description and using it verbatim which was great 10 15 or even maybe three years ago but isn't as inclusive as it could be today because language evolves absolutely beautifully said thank you so much and I think I've given them a shout out on my personal social media before but one of the theaters locally, I think, who's doing the best job in terms of audition descriptions. You're gonna say the cats. I was gonna, I was gonna say Colorado Theater Works up in Colorado Springs. Oh no, yes. Because with their description for Little, Little Shop, Shop of Horrors, they completely took. I don't know if they took age out, but they took gender out. Yes. And that was Nathan. It's like it's not hard. You take half an hour and yeah. you're like how can I crack open this description from MTI or Sam French yes um, so Nathan is the director yes. of that yes Nathan yeah. Halverson who I is phenomenal can't wait to see that show shout out to our friend Rakim yay who's... and Randy yes voicing Rakim's doing uh, Audrey too What's... Yes. who's Randy playing Randy is playing Seymour <gasps> And I've never seen an African-American Seymour before. Have I've never you? seen an African-American Seymour before. Uh-huh. I'm even more excited to see that show. Me too. And that's cool. I think it's cool, too, because I got called in for The Dentist. Uh, I can show you. I'll show what? you. I'll show you my self-tape. It's a real, I don't know what this says about me as a little kid, but that was the song from the show. When I saw <laughs> it when I was 10, I was like, oh, I got to memorize The Dentist oh song. Oh, my gosh. Little theater nerd. But, yeah, it's sometimes I'm just... Sometimes it's just enough to be called in yes. because scheduling wise, I ended up accepting a position uh, directing Into the Woods Junior at a local middle school. And so mm. that ended up being the right thing. But absolutely such a sense of gender euphoria to put on a leather jacket and bind my chest and do that. And now I have that gift of that self tape. Yes. Um, because I think a lot of it, a lot of what I 
obsess about sometimes is how I can package, successfully package myself because I have, you know, on my resume, I have it broken out into male, female, and non-binary roles. And I can play everything from like high femme to like the doodliest dude bro ever and everything in between. But I can only show you one physical representation of that when I walk into the audition room. Right. So it's something, it's, yeah, it's something I think about a lot. I suppose you have to. I kind of want to do one of those, you know, those those awful commercial headshots that folks did in the 80s where it's like four different pictures. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that, but I've been tempted. Well, I will say this because I see a lot of resumes. You can do the film reel kind of thing where you show different sides of yourself. Just don't do it in a cheesy way. Do it in a really beautifully stylistic way. And that could be an opportunity for people to say, oh, so you might want to consider that. You think you think in terms of the image aspect of it, or are you talking more about the resume aspect? I mean of the it? image, yeah. So you just on the side, either you can do it um like as a as a column on the left, or you could do it at the bottom, <gasps> but you have like stills with different pictures of you, and then you have your resume. And so it's just a quick little visual. People do that, especially film actors do it all the time because the looks yeah. can change dramatically. Absolutely. Um, I don't do it, though I should do it because certainly my your listeners don't know that I'm a bald, beautiful black chick, but every time I, I'm on stage, I'm pretty much wearing a wig. And it completely, completely changes. I, anytime I want to go out and be invisible, I put on a wig because people will leave me alone. As, as myself, they feel compelled to talk to me, but if I put a wig yes. on, they can still say, oh, she's cute, but they will leave me alone. So if I want to be left alone, I put on a wig. That's fascinating. I've started doing that too, actually, because... Really? Yeah, because I'm working, I've, I'm co-writing, we're nearly done, uh, I'm co-writing a new indie rock musical with my friend Jules Murtha that queers the Hamlet narrative, and so it's basically Ophelia and Laertes on tour. Like, you know, Laertes goes to France, and we never... <laughs> find out why he goes to France. Right. Because in playing Laertes with uh, Band of Tufts and Nerve Hamlet last summer and returning to the role this summer, that scene with Ophelia, it goes against everything in my being. You know, it's always, like, we got to improvise that scene originally, Hmm. and I always just wanted to say... Just come to France with me. Like you're going through a lot of stuff right, right. now, I'm girl. Not leave you like here. let's like I'm I'm not gonna leave you. Like let's right. and just thinking about the butterfly effect of what that would have done to the Hamlet narrative. And so the Ophelia that we've created, we've we've crafted the show so that either one of us can play either role. Nice. And um the song sounds so good. The album's we're gonna release it next month. But uh yeah, just that thing of because when I first came out with the they, them pronouns, I think I sort of limited myself in terms of what clothing I wore because I'm like, I have to help people. I felt the need to help people out. I'm from the Midwest. Mm. And so I'm like, I can't wear dresses because even though I love wearing dresses because that'll confuse people with the pronouns. And so I think finally now in year three of my awesome pronouns, I'm finally getting okay with embracing the more femme forward aspect of myself. And so... Yeah, I'll show you some pictures after, but I Please got do. this gorgeous wig for Ophelia. And yeah, Ophelia is very much inspired in terms of look and, and sound by Laurie Anderson and Amy Winehouse. I want to see you in a dress. Uh, yeah, and it's just great. And I love that too, but I feel that it confuses people. But I found that if I put this, because it's a really nice, like my hair is very curly when it's long. And so it's, it is what my hair would look like. And so it's like a long ombre curly wig. 
I put a baseball cap ahead of it, uh, on top of it. And if I feel like I'm in, I've been traveling a lot lately, but if I feel like I'm in a, a, a city that doesn't feel safe, mm. right? Doesn't feel safe to look quote unquote visibly queer. Yeah, I'll just pop that on and there's a lot less drama in terms of folks giving me side eye and stuff. Wow. Yeah. So the power of, behold the power of wigs, Great. y'all. Transformation. Transformation. Yas. Uh, I want to talk about, now we're going into the little bit of the James Lipton inside the actor's studio <laughs> journey of your career. Can you identify, was there a moment or a string of moments earlier on for you where you were like, performing, this is, this is the thing, this is my calling? So I have a very unusual um, story in the sense of my mom said that she knew I was going to be an actor at three years old. <gasps> The story, according to my mother, <laughs> is that this is back in the time, you know, when kids go to bed on time like you're supposed to. Right. And uh, my parents had a card party and I was, you know, in bed the way I was supposed to. And apparently I got out of bed, came into the room with my hairbrush, sang, took an ovation, <laughs> took a bow and went back to bed. Right. And my mom said, she's going to be a performer. And so my mom knew before I knew and so she allowed me to have all kinds of artistic opportunities that a lot of people I talked to don't, didn't have. And so I was taking classes. I was auditioning at the Coconut Grove Children's Theater in Florida. Um, I was one of the first female Jesuses in Godspell. Um, Are you serious? Yeah. They, yeah. I want to see images or footage of that if they exist. I don't have anything. Okay. But yeah. So just really cool things like that. Right. And I, and so my mom was just really wonderful. I, I played Tilly the Tooth, and, and that was my first play in elementary school. Um, Tilly was not the lead, but she felt like the lead as far as I was concerned. <laughs> and, um, and so I, I kind of always knew that the arts and theater in particular was my passion. I balanced that with having a dad who's a teacher. And so education was really important to me, except my dad was constantly saying, don't be a teacher, don't be a teacher, don't be a teacher. Because all teachers love what they do, and they never want anyone else to suffer what they suffer. Right. That's just the, the drill, unfortunately. That's fair. And so I, I had a passion for education, and I loved theater, and I couldn't quite figure it out as a kid, how did the two go together? Because when I saw plays, I always saw what they were teaching. I always saw what I was learning. Yes. And so for me, that's a part of the journey. And so that that really became... And so what's interesting is that I've kind of made a career in both educational theater and and as an actor and as a director, and in everything that I do as an actor, I am looking at what am I supposed to be learning? What can I help shine a light on for the audience? And as a director, it's like, what big questions are we asking the audience to consider as part of their journey? That's part of the experience of directing a play. I love it. I love it. Can you take us through some of your greatest hits between Godspell and now? <laughs> yes, well, Godspell was certainly pivotal. Um, getting into that's pretty cool. Uh, let's see. I would say going from now backwards, uh, certainly getting to play Queen Elizabeth at Colorado Shakespeare Festival yes. is one of the greatest moments of my life. That was a tremendous challenge. And big, big shout out to Wendy. Thank you, Wendy Franz, for giving me the opportunity. Um, that was good. Uh, the Mountaintop. That was tremendous, yes. getting to play Camay. It was my first and my only so far two-hander, and I had no idea that I could do it and was frightened beyond belief, and Gavin was like, of course you can, and we did. And so that was tremendous. I got to play Portia in The Merchant of Venice in Atlanta, which was tremendous. I also got to play Helen of Troy, 
um, in the Trojan Women. Oh. So you can see I do a lot of classics. I'm a big classicist. People don't know that. Um, and then really uh, a tremendous change in terms of my perception about theater was the first show I got cast in here in Colorado, because I moved here five and a half years ago, was Kate in Good People. And I had not really done any comedies. My whole, just my entire resume is filled with dramas and dramas and dramas sure, and musicals sure. because I didn't know I was funny. Now, all of my friends back home are like, everybody knows you're funny. How did you not know you're not funny? You're funny. <laughs> I had no idea. And then I got cast in Kate and I went, but this is a comedy. And audiences laugh. So that kind of expanded my perception of myself. And so then now I get to do both. I get to do comedies and dramas and musicals. And so all of those were big moments of just shaping me. And then really this show, Caroline, is pivotal as well because I love to sing. I have always loved to sing. And I have been tremendously fearful of singing in public. Just tremendously. And so uh, I really had to work on that diligently over the mm. past four and a half years because I just I tanked so many auditions because of nerves there was nothing wrong with the people in the room they were kind they were supportive they were generous the song was fine it was me it was just all nerves and so um major shout out to my voice teacher David Dunbar who just I don't he didn't do anything intentionally he just believed that I should be singing and just created this atmosphere where singing was just fun and suddenly the fear just went away so when I came into the Caroline audition, I literally came in with the mindset of, well, this is the first of three musical auditions that I'm going to be hitting because there's three musicals I want to do in the same season in the same slot. So I'm going to get one of them. Let's go. And so I wasn't worried about myself. I was just concerned about the story and coming in and going, I like Dottie. Dottie and I are, we're, we're unique and we're, we're, there's some kind of connection between me and this character and I can't even quite understand it, but I am her, and I'm going to go and just do this thing. And so I went to the audition with that instead of the, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. And so, uh, and I got it. I think that's, thank you so much for sharing that, because I think it speaks to something that I'm really in the flow of lately, like just moving away from a scarcity mindset. Yes. Because fear kills everything. Fear, fear kills so much creativity, but especially being an actor, going into an audition, like, yes, you want the stakes to be high, but you can't let your self-worth hinge on this audition because we're in an industry where if you're booking one out of every 10 things you go out for, you are doing well right? for yourself. Right. And so I love, I've been reading, as problematic as Elizabeth Gilbert can be from time to time, I'm reading Big Magic, which is all about the creative process. And she talks about the idea that creati creative ideas are just flying all around everywhere and they're looking for like the right person to bring them into the world mm. and like you can say no politely or you can grab onto something and so I love this mindset of cool I have this slew of auditions that I'm going to go to uh, and I trust that the right roles are going to find me if I bring my fullest self into this audition absolutely absolutely I was actually having a conversation in the dressing room with the ladies uh, just yesterday and um, because a lot of people are getting uh, excited about the DCPA generals. <laughs> and, um, exactly. I love that what your audience can't see is that your, your hands began to shake, right? And so we were talking about that. And I said, you know, let me just share a few of the things that I've learned both from being on, you know, both sides. And I said, you know, one of my favorite things that uh, really helps me is remembering that when I go into the room, I already don't have the job. Yeah. So, and when I walk out, I don't have the job. Right. Nothing 
changes in terms of those that that fun fact right so everything else is just about what i choose to do with it as opposed to going and going oh my god these 90 seconds are going to change my life and if i don't do it they're never going to that's not going to cause me to do anything so instead walking in with this hey i'm betty and i'm here yeah and i already don't have the job and when i leave technically i don't have the job so that's right. not the concern i'm actually concerned about making a case for why you want to work with me in the future because I can't even control yes. that I'm the right person for this job, despite what I think, because I don't know all the other variables. I could be too tall or too skinny or too strong or too funny or too anything, which throws off the mix of the ensemble. Right. So that has nothing to do with my talent. That's just variables that are a part of who I am. So how about instead I make a case for making you go, hmm, I like her. Yeah. I want to work with her. Yeah. And start thinking about projects where we can collaborate. That's what I want to do when I go into an audition. And it seems to work because I've had so many incredibly gracious emails saying, you were incredible. You did everything you were supposed to do. We can't use you, but I'm telling you, I'm interested in you. And those directors do follow up and I've gotten to work with them in the future. This thing about sustainability too, it might not be about this audition. Right. It might not be about the next audition, but if you keep showing up and bringing your full self. Yes. I was lucky enough. I brought, I brought, uh, Adrian, Adrian Lee Robinson into, into the woods junior to just talk about her experiences as a princess impersonator and to guest choreograph a number. And she was talking about the audition process for first date. And she was like, I think I got it because I wasn't an audition robot. Right. I wasn't, I think too often people veer to the side of, I want to be as generic as possible. And I remember this TED talk I saw about like online dating profiles and this data technician who like made, you know, all these different profiles to find out like how to best leverage the analytics that are within OkCupid or whatever. And she said, it's actually the more unique you make yourself. It's yes. actually the more people, and it's a very human thing to be like, yes. I want to be everyone's cup of tea. I want to be as, you know, base I don't want to say basic but I want to be the thing <laughs> that you know everyone can say yes to and it's, it seems counterintuitive but it's actually the more unique and specific you can be either in an online dating profile or in this audition room that's making me shake uh that's the thing that's the thing that actually increases your chances of finding the right match either I agree. professionally or personally and I think you know the hardest thing for us is to actually just genuinely show up in the room because so often we were so busy being fearful and concerned about so many variables that have nothing to do with anything. Like, I can't believe they didn't look up. They did look up. They looked up too much. What, all of those things. When the reality is all we really have to do is just be ourselves. And at least at the end of the day, be able to say, I brought my authentic self there. I did the best I could. The rest is out of my hands. But I showed up. Too often when I just tanked auditions, I could truthfully say, well, they never saw me anyway because I wasn't there. That wasn't Betty. That was some weird shell of a person, but that's not actually who I am ever, except in that one moment. And so the, the goal is to show up and just be yourself. And I think that's what preparation's all about. If we can do the preparation, get the sleep, drink the water, eat some food that actually agrees with your body, and just go in and have a good time because we actually like performing. And so if we actually like performing and we get an opportunity to perform, and this is our chance to show our take on this character, that's the joy and what they do with it is the work but we just get to do the joy and put the work in so that joy can come out 
I love that so much. I need that embroidered on the throw pillow. <laughs> Please. Uh, one of the things I like to do when I have actors on the podcast is talk about your bucket list. Do you have a mm. list of roles that you're like, we got to check those off before I leave this earth? I don't have a bucket list. Clearly, I'm deficient. I should no, have a bucket list. No, you don't need one. But I don't. Um, there are so many roles and I just want to do things that challenge me. I like to stretch and grow. And I mean, for example, now doing Caroline, I'm hopefully going to get a chance to do a lot of musicals, but I don't have any list of musicals going, I need to do this. And this is the role that was born. I was born to play. Mm-mm. Nope. You know what I'd really love to see you do? What? The search for the signs of intelligent life in the universe. What? Yes. The one woman show? Yeah. What? Well, I will Jane say. Jane Wagner. I would love to see you do a one person show. Doing a one person yeah. show is, is on my list, but yeah. not a specific one person show. But I do want to do that someday. I do want to do that well before I die. Yes. There's something, I don't know. There's something quite holy about that, I think, especially if it's a show where you have to play multiple roles. Yes. It's like. I think something that everyone wants to take. Yeah. The actors I want to work with, it's something that they want to take on yeah. before, before they go. Cause That'd it's be just, fun. And crazy. It's all you, right? Like, you just have to rely yes. on you. Yes. And that takes away a lot of the excuses, right? Like, oh, oh, if my scene partner would have picked up that cue faster. <laughs> oh, if only I would have. Yeah, no, no, no. Like, bring it. Yeah. It's just you. I have this idea that's been in my head for probably 10 years now, and I have not acted on it. Um, but writing a one-person show called Black Like Me and yes. exploring race from my perspective because when people think, they know I'm interested in race, but they think I'm interested in race for their own reasons, my take on race is very different than what they think and it would be interactive in the sense of, for me, because talking to the audience is a real thing for me, it's a part of my life's mission as a facilitator, it would be both acting and conversation. It would be a really cool, immersive thing. So eventually, maybe I'll get off my butt and actually do it. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's the thing, too, is one of, I, would love, I would love your advice on this. The thing of, like, when things are going really well in this industry, the hustle is so strong and sleep seems like a commodity and, right. and, and food that agrees with your body and even hydration seems could get to the point I get worked up sometimes where I'm like, I, I get annoyed at the fact I have to drink water. <laughs> and because I'm like, that means I have to pee later. I don't have time oh my for that. Goodness. My brain, my brain is a very interesting place, but how do you balance that, um, assertiveness and putting oneself out there and for lack of a better word, hustle with taking care of yourself? It's a great question. Something I was not good at before. I had to learn to get good at it last year because I worked 10 months um, and I work a day job as well. So it became really crucial to do that. And so I have become more disciplined in terms of sleep uh, because I am a person who, you know, if it were healthy to never sleep, I would do it. Same. I really would. And I, I recognize that, you know, people are like, oh, but sleep is so good for you. Okay, it is. But if I didn't have to, and I could still be healthy, I would never sleep. So I've learned to sleep um, and actually become really militant about getting sleep. And there's a minimum amount that I try to get every day because there is a difference in terms of what I can do. Because I can tax my body because I give out a lot of energy. And sleep really allows me to not be taxing my body, which I don't need to do when I'm putting out creativity on so many levels for 90% of the day. Right. So sleep is one. Eating. 
uh, taking the time to do those old-fashioned things like preparing meals on a Sunday night or on a Monday night when you get a little downtime so that when I am hungry, I'm grabbing something healthy for myself rather than going and getting fast food food and putting garbage in. Right. Because it does make a difference, again. Uh, going to the grocery store, which seems normal to regular people, but it's like a luxury to go in yes. and buy fruit and vegetables. is like, oh, this feels so good. But I need to have those things on the go. Um, Costco is my friend in terms of the gigantic jar of cashews so that I always have a healthy snack so that when I feel energy flagging, I'm immediately going, nope, I've got food immediately. doesn't matter where I am. So those are, I mean, they're really basic things. And then working out. Working out is the thing that's the hardest for me because it's something that I just do for me. It's not about body type or anything. It's just the one time when my brain is not going into overdrive and it's just completely still because it's just the physical. Yeah. And so I don't do it as much as I'd like to. So that's the hardest part for me of when I'm doing day job and night job with acting and directing, how do I get in that workout? And so what I'm working on doing is really allowing for even just a 10 minute workout to be sufficient. It doesn't have to be a half an hour. It doesn't have to be an hour or 90 minutes. 10 minutes will still do great things for me. And it just makes me feel better physiologically. So just trying to do that in increments is helpful. Thank you. I'm, t- I'm taking notes. I'm taking notes. I was lucky enough to. Uh, so Viola Davis visited CU. We had a show. We couldn't week. go. Uh, and for whatever reason, I was able to get a ticket in the second row. So what? I was so close to her. She wore this amazing tangerine colored suit and leopard print flats. Like it was, it was too much. And I remember that was the last question of the night: is someone being like, "How do you take care of yourself?" Well, they framed it as what's. Like, they framed it first jokily, like, what's your arm? My mom and I want to know what your arm workout is. But in all seriousness, <laughs> how you take care of yourself. Because she talked about how she and her husband started this production company. Mm. And this thing about, we don't know as audience how nasty those conversations get behind closed doors in terms of advocating for marginalized actors to be a part of big budget uh, big budget films or just any film that's getting funded. Like, we have no idea. Mm. We don't see that, Viola Davis. We don't see the conference room. No, like, if I'm putting my money into this, this is who you're going to be casting. Um, and that question kind of came right before the self-care one. But she was like, I don't, I don't know. Like, I have my Pendleton bike. I try to do that for me. I try to take an Epsom salt bath each morning before my daughter wakes up. I never mm. beat her. She's always annoyed that I'm taking my bath. And she's like, yeah, and the right food and all the stuff. And sleep is good when you can get it. Uh, sometimes I work 18-hour days, and sometimes it's just yep. not, pos- it's not possible with an amount of time there is in the day right. to get more than a couple hours of sleep. It's true. But then at the end, I loved it. Because we sort of were like, oh, like face masks and food and exercise. But at the end, she was like, she said, and she's like, sometimes, sometimes vodka. Sometimes it's a shot of vodka. And sometimes it's cursing. And I just love the candor that she brought to that tail end of it. Yeah. Because self-care looks very different for a lot of people. A lot of times my self-care is... I was really optimistic when I scheduled that thing with you four weeks ago, and then I come to the day before, and I need that time to breathe. Yes. And so I need whoever I plan to see the show with or socialize with, surrounding, my people who are ab- surrounding myself with people who are able to receive that boundary with grace. Nice. And be like, yeah, 
yeah. You've been doing a lot. Sounds yeah. good. Like, yeah, stay home and watch Broad City. And I love that you said that because that is something I've just started doing. I'm not good at it. I have. I love theater. I, I, I live, breathe, and sleep, eat, sleep uh, theater. And so I go see shows all the time. Anybody who will tell you, I'm just, I'm there. If I have free time, I'm going, even right. while doing a show. And there does come a point where you are better to yourself if you stay home yes. than going because you are so exhausted that you can't even take in the good work that they're doing. So you can't enjoy it. And so you're there physically, but you're not there fully mentally. And so one of the things that I vowed to myself moving forward is that if I am tired, even if I've bought the ticket, even if my dear friend is in it, I'm not going. And it has nothing to do with them. It's not an indictment about the theater. It's about loving myself a little bit more to say, I just need some downtime. So that's something that I'm working on. Absolutely. I think that's great too. And also because you bought the ticket already, right? Absolutely. The financial nod to I like what this theater is doing yes. has happened. I like to pass my ticket on to someone else if I'm yeah. able to. That's great. But I think it splits the difference and still makes you a good theater citizen, community okay. member. Thanks. But then also you're, you need to rest sometimes so we can slay another day, right? Yes. And online shopping is your friend in terms of self-care. Yes. So you see my dog, Mocha, and yes. I don't have time to go to Petco during their hours. I just don't. But you know what? They've got a website, and I can have her dog food shipped right to my house. Right. And so it's there, and I never right. have to go, oh, my God, it's 2 in the morning, and I can't feed my dog. So little things like that, um, online shopping in terms of clothing, because I love clothes. I love cute clothing. I love yes. fashion. But I don't have time to go into a store. Right. So... I think uh, the internet is also part of my self-care. Absolutely. absolutely. And I, I've gotten, um, you know, it's a little pricey, but I've gotten a plant-based meal subscription service. So I'm just like, and it is very grab-and-go instead of like the green chef, like, let's set out all the, I'm like, no, don't have time for that. And so, I mean, I'll say it's hung, hungry root. And so it's like nothing takes more than 10 minutes to make. Nice. It's a lot of it's grab-and-go. And that's just the gift I can give myself because that's, Elevated fuel. Yes. And then also, I... Yeah, if I go to a grocery store... If I'm able to go to a grocery store, it's probably at 11 o'clock at night. Like, let's be real. And so, I try to, like, cool. Like, what can I stock up on? Can I get dried fruit? Because I'm not... You know, like, fresh fruit for now, dried fruit for next week. Because I might not be able to come back again. But then also, occasionally, too, and just, you know, for folks, there are a lot of grocery stores where... For no additional cost or for maybe just 10 bucks, like you can pre-order what you want and then it'll be ready for you. Yeah. So you can just sort of pop in and out. But find those, find those hacks. Yes. That save you time so that you can, you know, get on the treadmill or take that bath instead of, yes. you know, letting anxiety creep in. And I get a massage once a month now. I'm trying to work up to that. I, I usually get a punch card for chair massages that I sort of go through throughout a semester. But yeah. Yeah, take that time where... You're removing any impediments of yes. distraction. Yeah. And, yeah. And you're just saying, I matter, you know? Ah! Just, yeah. I matter. Because yeah. I, we do so much for everyone else, and yet we also need to matter to ourselves. And so taking that time for ourselves, whatever it is, reading a book, taking time to pray, whatever it is, just, I matter. And I have to put myself as part of my own equation. Absolutely. I love that. I love that. that that's probably going to be the pull quote. From the whole darn thing. Uh, You've been giving us some great advice throughout this interview, but as we're sort of coming to a close, what is 
what are the couple pieces of advice you would give to aspiring educators, actors, directors in terms of how to best plug into this amazing theatrical community we have? Well, I will say what the wise sages said to me, because everyone should have at least one person tell them this, don't do it. Um, But if you can't help yourself, if you are like, I heard that advice, it is good advice, and yet I still want to do it, um, because everyone should be told, really, if you can do anything else, do it, because there are so many other things you can do with your life where you're not going to be told no, and your heart's not going to be crushed a billion times over, and you're supposed to rebound. So, um, but if you do want to be in this crazy business, I would say, one, never stop learning. I find that too many artists think, well, I got my BA or my BFA or my MFA or I went through this great, amazing program and now I'm out. That's it. But we wouldn't go to a doctor who hasn't gone and watched a new procedure to learn. We would never go to that doctor. So why is it as performers, as as artists, do we think that the learning should stop? So that's one. Second, Go see the work. I It drives me crazy, the number of theater artists, and it's not a Colorado thing. It certainly happened in Atlanta and all over the country. People who don't go see the work. And I get it. I get that I've been doing the work. I'm doing the work four days a week or six days a week, so why would you expect me to go see the shows? But I find that you are better equipped when you go in the room or when you have that interview with the artistic director if you know what the work is like at that theater, if you Absolutely. know what their style is, if you know what their audiences respond to, all of that's information that we can use to better our craft. So actually have a sense of what's happening in the market um, so that you can best represent yourself. And then I love what you said earlier, and I'm just going to kind of pick up on that. Have a really strong support system. It's not about volume of people. It's not about the numbers. But it is about being able to talk to someone and be able to have that moment of clarity. I didn't get it and it hurts. I didn't get it and I didn't do my job. You know, I did blow that audition legitimately. I'm not spiraling. I'm not comparing myself. I literally did not do what I came prepared to do. And I've got to own that and I've got to make peace with that and I've got to now move on. Having people who can be there for you just as a sounding board who can give you that look, and most importantly, can give you that other perspective. Really? Really? You didn't get cast because of, really? And they can (laughs) actually have that conversation with you in a safe place. Sometimes you do need to sound off about what happened in that room. I had an audition recently, and I'm not going to go into details, but it was a really negative experience. It was a really negative experience, and I walked out going, wow, that should never have happened the way that did, and now... I'm pretty certain I don't want to work with that director because of what happened in the room. Right. And I was able to share that experience with a few people and hear them saying, wow, you're right. That's a weird exchange. Someone even said, I bet they wish they hadn't have done it that way, which was a completely different way of me viewing it. Because I was just like, the director was a jerk. And they were like, well, I bet they resented. I bet they figured out along the way sure. that they shouldn't have come at you that way. Yeah. But it was just good for me to be able to get it off my chest, get that negativity out of my system, and then I could legitimately let go and say, that project, I'm not going to get, and it's okay. I came in wanting it, I left not wanting it, and now I'm free of it, and I'm not bound in the ways that we often can kind of self-destruct. So have some people, and I think people in the industry and people who are not in the industry. Yes. 
who are part of your support system, who you can just be a person with, whose every conversation isn't going to be, so what's next for you? That's uh... one of the worst things ever for people in our business because we, we're, we're almost trained to not enjoy the now because we have to be concerned about what's next. And that's crazy. If you're doing a show, for God's sake, enjoy every moment of that because you don't know when the next one's going to be. There are a few people in this town who literally work all the time. But even those people, and I've started talking to them, they also say it's feast or famine for them. So all of us just kind of need to make peace with the fact that the industry is crazy. And um, you can be incredible and talented and professional and not get the job. And that's just a basic truth that you need to accept and not pin your self-esteem on the number of projects that you have. Absolutely. Well said. Well, to bring us back around to Caroline or Change, do you have a little bit of a lyric or, or a line from the show that you can sort of take us out with? Um, I guess I will do a little piece of the radio um, that I get to sing a solo, so I'll just do a little piece of that. So weird. <laughs> no one waiting to warm the dark. No one hoping that I'll wear red. No one wanting to spark my spark. No one needing, needing to share my bed. <gasps> oh my gosh, that was so amazing. Thank you. Thank you for not only sharing that with us, but singing singing to me and and to Mocha. Yes. Uh, so everyone run out there to get your tickets to Caroline or Change play at the Aurora Fox until May 5th. Betty, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Lipstick, thanks for having me.